from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast Article 370 was repealed way back in 2019 many would argue that it's history and everyone should move on including the residents of Kashmir Omar Abdullah doesn't agree No it's not history if it was history we wouldn't be in the supreme court In today's episode my colleague Harinder Baweja is in conversation with the former Jammu and Kashmir chief minister about his battle against the repealing of article 370 and how he sees it having affected the state Omar Abdullah talks about why he doesn't plan to contest assembly elections even if they are held and why he believes people are unhappy in the state In the second half of the episode Harinder speaks with him about the last meeting of the opposition alliance that is now called INDIA or India and its future challenges Harinder started by asking Omar Abdullah who's the vice president of the Kashmir based National Conference Party about how his political life had changed since the state lost its special status It is now almost 4 years since the nullification of article 370 How has your political life changed Well, as with most of us, uh, we've been in a limbo. It's been a twilight zone. We have been sort of gearing up for eventual assembly elections without knowing when they would take place. We've also been performing the role of an opposition party, being in opposition to a nominated government rather than an elected one. And we've also been spearheading the constitutional and legal challenge to what was done on 5th August 2019 through the various routes that are available to us the center recently told the supreme court that the withdrawal of the special status to jammu and kashmir has brought unprecedented stability and progress do you see a naya kashmir around you well i keep looking for it but it's like vikas vikas is missing and the unprecedented newly developed Uh, Kashmir is missing as well. We were sort of taken aback when we saw uh, the tone and tenor of what was filed in the Supreme Court because it's not reflected on the ground. And I'll I'll give you a small example. We had half an hour of rain early this morning and the so-called newly developed G20 compatible polo view market where all the G20 delegates were taken and forced to buy things. The shops were flooded. and this market has now been commissioned what just a few months ago that's the sort of development on the surface of things yes it looks nice and fancy and and new but the moment you scratch the surface then you realize that it's all dikhawa it's all uh, mukhota it's a mask the reality is grim and uh, is far from what they're trying to project what about in terms of law and order because the center claims that the number of incidents have come down Well, number of incidents do ebb and flow. We had peaceful times, even when I was chief minister, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, a large part of two thousand and thirteen. So this sort of level of calm and and peace is not entirely unprecedented. But then the sort of uh, measures that this government has implemented in terms of arrests, detentions, bulldozing of houses, dismissal from jobs, that certainly is un- unprecedented. You had a recent incident. where in a police function people didn't stand for the national anthem now if everything had changed and all this was voluntary then everybody would have been willingly standing up for the national anthem and singing with gusto here you had people who didn't want to stand 
and was summarily arrested and charged. So again, as I said, on the surface of it, things appear good. But the moment you scratch the surface, you realize that things haven't changed all that drastically. A broader consensus has somehow endorsed the scrapping of Article 370 as a fait accompli. Even experts like, you know, former Raw Chief A.S. Dulat, who you know rather well, believe that it is done and dusted. Now, we know that the National Conference, your party, has challenged this in the Supreme Court. But do you somewhere believe that it is history? No, it's not history. If it was history, we wouldn't be in the Supreme Court. I beg to disagree with all the armchair experts who pass judgment over how they see things in Jammu and Kashmir. Look, you're welcome not to fight against what happened on the 5th of August 2019. In fact, you're welcome to endorse it as well. But that doesn't mean all of us have to. We believe that we have a strong case in front of the Supreme Court. We also believe that the Supreme Court is looking at it purely from the constitutional and legal point of view. Whereas what the BJP did was largely political. Our question is over the constitutionality and the legality of it. So we'll wait for the Supreme Court to pass its judgment. The case has only just started. It's a hypothetical question, but what if the Supreme Court endorses I don't answer hypothetical questions. Many blame the mainstream parties for the uh, center's August 5, 2019 decision. Do you find your political space restricted because of that? No, we don't. I don't see our political space having shrunk. In fact, if anything, I believe our political space has grown. People who otherwise were not interested in mainstream politics, who had no sort of connection with past elections, today are saying that, look, we want an election. We want to be able to tell the center that what they did was wrong. Uh, and we want to put into power parties that we believe will fight to restore whatever little they can to Jammu and Kashmir. So no, I don't see our political space having shrunk. So all the voices that we heard at that time where, you know, they sort of blamed uh, NC and PDP for being in alliance with the BJP at different points of time. Do you find a certain amount of forgiveness there? I didn't hear those voices. I was locked up. So I don't know who you spoke to and where you found these people. Most of Kashmir was locked up. In fact, most of the voices that were sort of brought out on television channels, brought to meet ambassadors and brought to meet EU members of parliament were all mouthpieces of the government. Most people who were resistant to what government of India had done were kept in their homes or in places of detention and not allowed to speak. So are you entirely happy with the delimitation process? Because now there is Jammu and there is Srinagar. And apparently we also need like a political bridge between you know, these two regions. Well, I was never happy with the delimitation process. We never endorsed the delimitation process. We, already, we always believed that the delimitation process by itself was unconstitutional because it was a product of the JNK Reorganization Act, which is yet to receive the stamp of approval or disapproval from the Supreme Court. So everything that they have done after 5th August 2019 actually has a big question mark attached to it. That said... The fact that Jammu and Kashmir need a political bridge is again not a new development. It's something that predates 2019. It's something that governments, ever since I can remember, uh, have grappled with. Even in the, you want to call them good old days, when the National Conference and the Congress were the two parties that fought each other, the vote bank were pretty divided. National Conference won its votes from Kashmir. Congress won its votes from Jammu. 
and the area in play uh, that both vied for were the mountains of Jammu. So uh, what you see is, is basically an extension of that. How would you assess the uh, mood of the street? People are still angry. They're upset. They're victims of uncertainty themselves. The promises that were made in terms of development, growth, jobs are nowhere to be seen. And what they see is a failure of administration, a a failure of any sort of attempt to bridge the divide or to heal wounds. The strong arm of the law is a lot more visible than any sort of compassionate governance. You know, for long, the mainstream uh, parties were seen as a bridge between Srinagar and New Delhi. I'm sure you find that has changed. Well, it depends how you define mainstream political parties. If your definition of mainstream are the legacy parties, those that were in existence before 2019, then yes, that's changed because we have very little, if any, uh, interaction or contact with Delhi. In fact, we're oftentimes as much on the receiving end of Delhi's attentions as the Hurriyat parties are. But if your definition of the mainstream extends to those new entities that emerged after 2019, then there are still bridges between New Delhi. There are parties that very openly say that they are with New Delhi and that they'll do whatever New Delhi wants. So there are bridges, they just don't exist in the form of the legacy parties. What is the meeting ground between Jammu and Kashmir's political parties and the centre? After an all-party meeting, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi promised to reduce Dil and Delhi ki duri. But that is also now three years ago. Yeah, and there has been no follow-up to that either. As far as the parties like the National Conference, there is no bridge at the moment. There is no contact. We have no involvement with with what the centre is doing or what they plan to do. So like you said in the beginning, you feel like you're in a limbo. Well, that was not to do with Delhi's contact because contact with Delhi is not the be-all and end-all of the national conference. We've existed without contact with Delhi in the past and will do so in the future. My sort of comment about the limbo was more to do with the fact that we are a functioning political party that has participated in elections. That is the element of uncertainty that sort of overshadows uh, the political work that we do. There is no sign of an election or the promised restoration of statehood. The NC, however, recently said that it would contest all elections. Do you see yourself contesting an election? I have not ruled out. I've only said that in the current scenario, I'm not fighting an assembly election. And I stand by that. As far as I'm concerned, I've been chief minister of an undivided Jammu and Kashmir with the most empowered assembly in the country. I'm hardly likely to go back to an assembly where the lieutenant governor will decide who the chief minister's peon is going to be. I have a little bit more self-respect than that. Uh, I want to fight for the restoration of what was taken away from Jammu and Kashmir to the fullest extent possible. And that's what I'm doing. And I don't need to come into the assembly for that. As far as your, your question about Jammu and Kashmir, the national conference will fight all elections. That's not something we've said for the first time. We earlier also said that our decision to to stay away from the urban local body elections and the the panchayat elections has cost the state dearly. We don't want to repeat that mistake. It's as simple as that. You know, in an interview a few years ago, you had said that the nullification of Article 370 had changed you personally 
and that you had become bitter and less trusting. It's four years now. Have you been able to come to terms with what the center did? Of course I am. And, and I think I will remain until my dying day because we were betrayed. What happened to Jammu and Kashmir was nothing short of a betrayal. And I have every right to be bitter about that. I may not show it. I don't uh, wear my heart on my sleeve. But that doesn't mean I don't feel it. Every sensible, self-respecting person of Jammu and Kashmir feels that what happened to us was a betrayal. In fact, even those who celebrated it in 2019, particularly in Jammu and in Ladakh, are today feeling that, that they were cheated and today feel let down. I, I, I get a sense that they feel betrayed today, where they were elated a few years ago. So there's no reason why my sense of betrayal would have diminished in any way. So you are a less trusting person and you feel... I'm a lot less trusting and that won't change. I don't take people at face value any longer. I, I won't. Let me ask you, will the NC ever ally with the BJP? Why are you asking hypothetical questions? We don't fight elections for, for alliances. BJP, like you said, for them, it was a political agenda. They are responsible for August 5, which is why the question is relevant. The National Conference is not looking for allies anywhere. And we hope that the people of Jammu and Kashmir will have learned a lesson that a divided mandate results in a divided Jammu and Kashmir, a weakened Jammu and Kashmir. And that's not the mandate that they will deliver. We're back in conversation with Omar Abdullah. On the 18th of July, the Alliance of Opposition Parties in the country announced that they would adopt the name INDIA or India. Details Kharge ji ne aapko full-fledged naam bataya, lekin iska short form mein hota hai India. India, can you challenge India? This expectedly met with criticism and barbs from the BJP. Ye log, paas-paas to aa sakte hain. On Tuesday, the 25th of July, Prime Minister Narendra Modi amped up the attack and is said to have told BJP lawmakers that multiple groups like the British East India Company or the terror group Indian Mujahideen also had India in their names. Umar Abdullah though is not buying any of this criticism. His party has three lawmakers in the Lok Sabha and he explains to Harinder Baweja why he believes the name India is a clever turn of phrase that has rattled the BJP. He also explains the big challenges before the India grouping and why he's not taking photos with leaders at the opposition meets anymore. Let's turn to the issue of opposition unity. You attended both the meetings in Patna and in Bengaluru. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the alliance came to be named India? It's a very clever name. The night before the main meeting, I'm a little sort of weary on, on dates because I normally never remember them. But the night before, we had an informal meeting followed by dinner. And uh, at that dinner, Rahul showed me a WhatsApp that I guess had been doing the rounds in his party, saying that we've come up with a name, but uh, it's being kept under wraps right now. And this is the name, INDIA. And it was Indian National Democratic Inclusive Alliance. Yeah. And I said, great. Uh, it works well. And... Uh, Let's see now what happens in the meeting. So when the meeting started the next day, even though Rahul had shared the name with me the evening before, it was Ms. Banerjee who proposed the name. I guess there was obviously some sort of strategic thinking 
behind it, that if the Congress proposes it, maybe some others would oppose it just because it was the Congress that had suggested it, as opposed to if uh, Mamta Didi presented the name, then maybe some of the parties that are more vocal in their opposition to the Congress would be willing to endorse the name. But it still took us the whole day to agree upon it because uh, some of the allies were a little concerned that it included the NDA into it. I said, well, that's great. I mean, if we're able to subsume the NDA into what we're doing, then why do we have to sort of be apologetic about it? Then various other formulations were, were bandied about, but ultimately they settled on the original one. But then in the late afternoon at lunch, as a compromise, they decided to change democratic to developmental, which I think we could have done without. Uh, I think the original name was still all right. But as with any good acronym, nobody remembers really what it stands for. It's the main thing that stands out. And we always knew that this was going to put the BJP in a slightly difficult position because you can't exactly go out and say, that India ke khilaf hai. India ko ke khilaf vote dalo, hum India ko sabak sikhayenge, all the rest of it. And already you have chief ministers, BJP chief ministers having to change their Twitter bio and remove India from it. I'm curious to see if the Honorable Prime Minister is going to repaint his plane because the plane he travels abroad in says Bharat stroke India. So that's a convenient bit of advertising for uh, the alliance. We also have cases registered in, in FIRs filed in police stations uh, because apparently this is an abuse of the country, but that's to be expected. It was on the whole, I think, uh, a good bit of work. But these were the easy parts, deciding on a name, deciding where we're going to meet. Uh, that's the simple part. Now you can imagine if it took us a day to decide on a name, when we actually sit down and try and work out an agenda or sit down and work out seat sharing arrangements, uh, that's where we'll earn our supper, so to speak. The BJP, uh, Ravi Shankar Prasad, to be precise, I was reading, uh, quoting the Prime, Prime Minister said that even the name Indian Mujahideen has India in it and PFI has India in it, which mm. is bad. So then why didn't they change their bios before that? Why did they suddenly wake up to not wanting India in their bio when election fighting political parties uh, had it? It's fine. I expect a bit of tutu meme. It's good politics. Now suddenly you find objectionable uses to India in other names. How come FIRs weren't filed there? How come you suddenly woken up to filing FIRs only now? That's fine. Happens. You preempted my question. The larger issues are, you know, the agenda and the seat sharing plan. Look, the agenda will be a little easier because at the end of the day, we don't need a common minimum program until we're elected into office. That's when you get into the nuts and bolts of it. As we had discussed in, in Bangalore, if we can have eight or 10 issues on which we agree, that's fine. And I think there are issues that are of concern to all of us. Agriculture, unemployment, price hikes, intolerance that is being injected into people. I personally said that the agenda has to include, I understand that they can't agree on 370 because they have sort of different political constituencies, but they can certainly agree on including a return to statehood and complete statehood, which is the return of our cadre as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's something that we can definitely do. Seat sharing, I think we need to understand that it's going to be pointless to do a seat sharing exercise in a large meeting. 
Because at the end of the day, a lot of us, most of us, have no interest outside of one particular state. The only common thread that runs through us is the Congress, because they've got interests everywhere. So what's the point of a national conference being present at a meeting in which you're deciding seats in Tamil Nadu, or Karnataka, or Maharashtra, or anywhere else? Similarly, what does the NCP have to do if you're discussing seats in Kerala or, or Tamil Nadu? So you have state-by-state state negotiations and discussions and agree certain sort of uh, ground rules. I think one of the ground rules you can agree is that uh, seats that you already hold are not up for discussion. You discuss those seats that the alliance partners don't currently have within their kitty. Obviously, the state seats that belong to the BJP or NDA or those parties that are not part of the BJP or the NDA. But those seats that are already with uh, members of the India Alliance, we keep those out of discussion. But there are, the problem areas would be, say, West Bengal, Mamta and the left, you and the PDP in Jammu and Kashmir. NCP has been split. Do you foresee more such moves by the BJP like the one we saw in Maharashtra? I'd be amazed if there aren't more such moves. This is sort of something that they've done in the past. They'll continue to do. They'll look for weaknesses and try and exploit them. It's, it's politics and it's not new. I wish it was, but it isn't. I mean, you're talking to uh, the vice president of a party that faced exactly what the NCP faced, uh, but decades ago. In 84, at the hands of the Congress, splitting the family, you also split the party. So this is just history repeating itself with another political party and another family, but it happens. So do you see yourself arriving at a seat-sharing arrangement with the PDP? There are no such discussions at the moment. Let's see what formula gets worked out. We'll see. To quote Praful Patel, uh, who is crossed over, he was at the Patna event. Yeah, I had a photograph with him. I tweeted it and then he didn't show up for the next one. So the next meeting, I didn't take any photographs because I thought then this is like inviting trouble. So to quote him exactly, he said the Patna meet was laughable. There were political parties who do not have even one MP in the Lok Sabha who are trying to be part of this. In the NDA meeting that he attended, would he care to count out how many political parties have no MPs again? I think that number runs into double digits. The number of parties in the NDA without a single MP is today in double digits. So why doesn't he say the same thing for the NDA meeting? That's fine. He's welcome to his opinion. But then, A, he should have expressed this opinion in Patna where he didn't because I was there and I didn't hear the NCP say this. And having said this about the meeting in Patna, I think it would have been courageous on his part to have said exactly the same thing having come out of the Ashoka Hotel once he went and saw off the Prime Minister. I was curious that the only people who saw off the Prime Minister after that meeting were BJP leaders and uh, two leaders from the faction of the NCP. So going forward, who will the convener be? And what issues is India going to be able to take to the people? Well, the convener will be a subject of discussion. One or two names were discussed. And I'm hoping that when the meeting takes place in Mumbai, they will have a convener. And then, yeah, we'll sit down and sort out some of the issues as well. Which one or two names were discussed? There were a handful of names, one or two. But uh, since they aren't in the public domain, I'm not putting them there. Modi says that the opposition alliance called India 
the only agenda they have is to be anti-Modi. No, I would be more sort of accepting of Prime Minister Modi's bravado if they hadn't been forced to go back to the NDA and cobble up support. The rebirth of the NDA, to my mind, betrays a certain nervousness, a certain weakness. One of the, the main planks that the BJP had against the alliance that now is called India was that it's all against one. They go, but that's not the case any longer. Now it's India versus NDA. So something has obviously changed. There is a realization in the BJP that they can't go it alone. So it's now a fight of alliances. It's not all of us against Prime Minister Modi. It's the India alliance versus the NDA alliance. And that drastically changes the political optics of what is being done. And therefore, I can imagine that the decision to give rebirth to the NDA wouldn't have been an easy one. Because that propaganda plank, as I said, all against one, you have immediately negated that. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.